0: Hello, everybody. This is Dan Woods here from Early Adopter Research. And I'm here today with Tomer Shiran, the CEO and founder of Dremio. We're going to be talking today about how to create a data lake for an end user, a topic that anybody who's worried about BI and analytics should be interested in. This podcast is part of the Designing Enterprise Platforms podcast of Early Adopter Research. In this podcast series, we try to look at the various ways of understanding technology and how to combine technology to create platforms to solve vital problems for the enterprise. There probably is no more vital problem than how to actually get your data infrastructure correct. And so I'm really happy to have Tomer with us today. Hi, Tomer. How's it going?
1: Great. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me here.
0: Yeah, no, I've been following Dremio for quite some time, and I find the company really fascinating because it's got a unique perspective on how to make a data lake work. But I think before we talk about that unique perspective, I'd really like to kind of cover some ground, um, some basics about why data lakes are here to stay and why it's really becoming the layer that most companies have to implement, albeit many, in many ways it's, it's implemented widely differently at different companies. But the data lake concept has become the, the new paradigm for how you organize your data uh, in a large way to solve problems. Why do you think that the data lakes are here to stay?
1: Yeah, that's a, uh, you know, there's been a lot of history uh, around this at this point. But uh, if you think back to where we were maybe 15 years ago, uh, many companies had one database and one BI tool. And it was as simple as that. Maybe you bought that from Oracle and and that was it. And the world has really uh, evolved a lot since those days. And now you have many different uh uh, data databases, data storage technologies, where, where data resides—it's very heterogeneous in most companies, um, and you want to be able to analyze all that data, bring it together, um, uh, and and be able to to ask questions on the data, regardless of of where it sits. And I think uh, we went kind of after after that really um, uh, monolithic uh, era, we went to an era of data warehouses where. Um, we had ETL tools, and uh, companies would, would develop all these all these ETL uh, scripts and uh, and pipelines to move data into a data warehouse, um, and that worked really well for for a while. Uh, but then we started to get to a point where um, we started to value data agility and self service a lot more than uh, than in the past. And BI tools such as Tableau and now Power BI and Looker uh, came came in.
0: Well, yeah, and it also seems that you know one of the differences is that the the number of different types of data and the number of sources of data that we had in the data warehouse era have just exploded. You know, we, we companies routinely want to get to data that has a variety of different structures. They also want to get to data that's in all sorts of different sources and all sorts of different locations, and. So a data warehouse, you know, the, the ETL to make that happen in a data warehouse would be even more nightmarish than what is currently in place. So I think that that was also another reason that data lakes are, are, are sort of here to stay, is that they handle that heterogeneity and scale
1: better. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the, uh, you know, it's it's the, the type of data as well. So things like web clicks and uh, yeah, semi-structured data, which didn't necessarily fit well into kind of the traditional uh, data warehouses. And then you had NoSqL databases and SaaS applications and so yeah absolutely data's data's gotten much more <clears throat> much more diverse uh, uh, during during these years as well and another thing that's happening is
0: that you know the the ability to catalog the data inside the the data lake is improving rapidly you know there's there's all sorts of companies that are just do that like Alation and things like that, but then each of the companies that are creating these layers like dremio and 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 podium data that was bought by uh by click and, and a variety of others, you know are uh, are able are, are cataloging and enabling this data to be found. But then one really interesting thing, and, and this is one thing that we'll cover later when we go talk about Dremio, is that many of the data lake implementations are overcoming the deficiencies in the access methods for each source, so that you can have a pleasing experience. And 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 the idea is that if your data is in a flat file or if your data is you know in a, a repository that might be slow you know some of the data lake technology is actually overcoming that caching it doing whatever is needed so that then you can have a, a good join experience and a good uh uh query experience uh, uh even though the underlying source uh doesn't really offer that
1: yeah uh, i think that's 100% true many of these uh these data database technologies or data storage technologies um they were designed with a specific purpose in mind whether it's to uh Uh, to be able to store semi-structured data or JSON documents efficiently or whether it was to be able to do search efficiently um, or just to to store files, which maybe you could easily obtain from from your partners or or other vendors. Um, But those those data storage technologies and formats um, weren't necessarily the most efficient for analytics. And on top of that, those systems might be serving some uh, OLTP or operational use case where you really don't want to be performing any analytics on them. Um, and so the uh, I'd say the data lake and, and kind of related technologies uh, allow you to uh, be able to explore and analyze that data um, at, a, at an efficient uh, speed um, without the limitations of those various uh, source systems.
0: Okay, Tomer, let's move on to why end users should be interacting directly with the data lake. Because... In many implementations of data lakes, data lakes are sort of like a, a warehouse that's not really intended for end users, but it seems to me in most of the implementations I've seen that have been successful, it's been clear that the biggest power, that, that, that the, the biggest way that this can create value is when everybody starts using the data lake and, and is able to. You know, Why do you
1: think that's, that direct use is important? Well, if you think back to why we created data lakes, and I, I was actually one of the uh, uh, one of the first employees in, in one of the Hadoop vendors, um, the vision was always, hey, you know what? If we could get all the data in an enterprise or in in, in an organization into one place, um, and allow users to then be able to access and, and analyze that data, that would be kind of the holy grail uh, of, anal- of, of analytics, right? It would break down the silos and uh, and the business could get tremendous amount of value from all that data being accessible. things uh, like customer three sixty uh, use cases come to mind
0: well, and also that really was the vision ultimately of the you know data warehouse, you know the idea of one repository to rule them all. It's just that what was possible you know and, and the amount of data that you had was 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 limited, and so now you have a bigger scope of data. And you have, you know, more possibility of bringing it all together. So it's the same vision, but now you can just do a better job of implementing it.
1: Yeah, I think it's both scalability and the, the, the ease of, of being able to have access to that data, right? So, to get that data into, into a, a single place.
0: And to me, the way I see this working out is that if you look at most companies, they have a, whether it's explicit or whether it's implicit, a de facto set of data that I call the data product. And the data product is the data that everybody understands that is delivered in regular updates that, that comes to you in reports or dashboards that, that become part of the culture. And that's the way that people understand what's going on in the company. Uh, but in addition, and, and the, the data lake is going to play a, an important role in you know, delivering and creating the data product. But in addition, you have that ad hoc, anal- ad hoc analysis. You have the desire to use raw data uh, in various forms, you know, whether it's uh, the landed data that just came from the sources, or the modeled data that was put together to collect things like you just said for customer three hundred and sixty, or the purpose-built data that is built for a specific type of analysis, and users are going to want to go in and see all those layers of data and combine it with new data they bring to the table to solve specific problems, and so. You know what is going to be needed inside that data lake to allow that work of solving problems to happen
1: yeah that's a that's a that's a really good question um, and I think uh, indeed we're we're living in a world now where more and more people want to be able to do that ad hoc analysis you know a lot of people now they 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 leave college with the ability to write SQL and write python um, and so in order to enable uh, really to enable the, the data lake to, to serve all these users, uh, we have to make it easier for them. And, and by easier, really two things. One is make it, make the access intuitive, uh, provide kind of a, a logical layer that they can interact with, uh, very easily collaborate with their, with their colleagues, uh, build these new virtual data assets. Um, and then also make sure that things are fast enough because, uh, we talk. We often talk about performance as a separate thing, but if you've used a BI tool such as uh, uh, you know Tableau or, or let's say Power BI, and you drag the mouse and it takes ten or fifteen minutes to to come back every time you drag the mouse, well, that that's really uh, impossible to use. And so I think that that's the other aspect is just providing that ability to accelerate queries and, and provide interactive speed so that you can interact with the data.
0: And it seems to me that you know what you have to have is that data catalog that allows you to locate the data you want. You have to have a way of combining that data and transforming it from the, the landed data that came from the source or the model data into that purpose-built data. And ideally, the user should be able to do that themselves. And you need a way of delivering that data to the tools that are going to use that are going to be used for reporting, display, and analysis. And then once you've dis- created an ad hoc analysis, you have to have a smooth path from taking that that and that, that pipeline that you've built. And then moving that from being just an ad hoc thing into the data product. And ideally, you could, if you can use the same technology used for the ad hoc stuff then for the data product, then you don't have to have a conversion and everything goes, goes, goes well. Now, the, now let's get to Dremio because basically what, what Dremio does is it supports this ability of creating a data product and, and delivering that as, a, as sort of like a, a regular production pipeline and at the same time, with the same tools, it also supports the ability of doing ad hoc use without creating a mess. And when I say mess, what I mean is a set of, of disconnected extracts of data like we have when people use lots of spreadsheets that where we don't know the provenance of the data, we don't know the, the freshness of the data, uh, you know, we don't know really much about it at all, uh, that, except that, that, that somebody had, you know, grabbed it and put it together. And so if we can avoid those extracts, if we can do ad hoc work and then have that ad hoc work then be moved into the data product, we're really ahead of the game now. But there's a lot of properties that a system has to be able to achieve this. And you guys have really thought about this. And you designed the system to have the properties needed to solve this problem. And some of them are really unusual. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our call is, you know, the vision behind the actual technology and implementation of Dremio to actually bring this vision to life.
1: Yeah, I think you've, you've, you've summarized really, really the, the value proposition of Dremio is to make the, uh, uh, make that data lake uh, accessible, uh, intuitive and fast um, and, and to be able to kind of bring together the, the data without having all these different copies of data and having to create data marts and build cubes and you know build extracts and all the things that people have to do today, which uh, not only make it so that it's expensive because you have lots of copies and you lose data governance and, and all those types of things, uh, but also make it impossible to achieve self-service because when, when the stack is really complex and you have to do all these different kind of derivations of the data and, and create copies and create extracts, um, there's no way that a, a BI user can actually do anything on their own.
0: Now, what I want to do is go through the assumptions that you made and the beliefs that you have about how to build the right solution that we created in that article we did uh, in, I think it was 2017. Yeah, November 2017, called Can Dremio Finally Deliver on the Promise of Self-Service Data? In that article, we we, we explained... What we believe, what, what Dremio believes are its core assumptions about how to build that right service. And so the first of those dogmas is that, and I, you know, I called them at the time dogmas, and, and uh, I think that those are really, that's a really good way to talk about them, because these are beliefs that you have that really represent what you're trying to do. The first is that you believe that the self-service data access problem cannot be solved by making external post-query copies of the data, which creates this mess that we just talked about. And so far, as has, has that been proven to be uh, uh, an important part of, of the success that your customers
1: have, avoiding extracts? A hundred percent. In fact, we have, uh, we have many companies that have uh, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of views where the users are kind of interacting in a logical way. And that, that whole model, that, that ability to be so data-driven – wouldn't be possible if they were creating copies of data, right? You can't imagine that many copies of data, which is kind of what you get if, if you're kind of using things like data prep tools and, and ETL tools. Right. And so what Dremio delivers instead
0: of an extract is it delivers a query that allows you to access that data whenever you want. And so that query is developed by having lots of you know other subqueries that can be rolled up uh, and so you have landed data, then you have, you know, queries on top of those that create views and then views and views on top of views. And then eventually you have a view that you're able to extract. And you, because you're not arguing that you don't need pur- purpose built data sets and you're not arguing that you don't need a lot of them. It, what you're arguing is that those should
1: be accessible on demand and shouldn't be extracted. That's right. The, the need for different uh, views into the data and different combinations of of the company's data that's driven by the business requirements, right? So the, the need of the business to understand the customer, to understand, um, you know, the, the, the risk that the financial services uh, firm might have and the exposure that they have and all these different use cases that, that exists within, within an enterprise. So that's what drives the need for different views of the data. And then just the fact that different people have different preferences. I might want to look at the data in one way. You might want to look at that same data set in a slightly different way. Maybe we're each responsible for a subset of the, you know, the accounts that the company has, things like that. Um, but if we, uh, you know, in, in order for that to actually work, for that model to work, um, the only way it can work is if, if uh, these data assets are virtual, if they're logical and there's really no cost to maintaining them. Um, Because it's not just creating the extracts. It's then, well, well, once you created that extract, that copy of the data, well, who's going to make that fast? So somebody's going to have to build a cube on top of that. So that can be sliced and diced and all these additional things that have to happen structurally to make it so that you can, at the end, use this BI tool and and be really fast. And so if you start creating hundreds of copies and for each of those, you then have to do all the additional work on that, that, that's obviously not realistic, right? You need to hire a data engineer for every analyst in the company. Got it. And
0: so now... The second thing is that if you're going to rely on queries to, you know, be your unit of delivery for, of the purpose-built data, you better have them be delivered fast. And so the, your next dogma is that you have to, you believe that in order to get this right, you have to have an in-memory columnar engine. Uh, essentially, what you mean is you have to have a fast query, but you guys believe that the f- best way to deliver that, that is through an in-memory columnar engine. And uh, you base yours on the Apache Arrow project, which you founded, uh, and that's the way to deliver maximum efficiency in both query speed and efficient use of, 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 of memory and computing resources. And so, you know, w- explain a little bit what the Arrow, Apache Arrow project is and, and, and
1: how it fits into Dremio. Sure. And, and that's evolved a lot since, uh, I think, since you wrote that article back in 2017. Um, in fact, Arrow is now downloaded uh, 4 million times a month uh, in the last month, so... Um, Aero really started it, it started as a project that we open sourced um, uh, a few years ago when we were still in stealth. And the, the idea was, let's take Dremio's memory format, our internal memory format for our engine, and open source it uh, with the goal of that becoming an industry standard. And there were a lot of different organizations and projects out there that had the same kind of interest in having this standard um in memory columnar representation for analytics, and so we and initially,
0: and in a way, this was inspired in part by the way that pandas had done a similar set of uh, of, of making things more efficient when writing Python Python
1: programs. Exactly, and and we actually so when we started Apache Arrow, we we did that in partnership with the pandas community and with Wes McKinney, um, who was uh, kind of the primary author of, of pandas, and really worked together on building that first uh, implementation. Um, and you know, support for various languages. And initially, it was just a memory uh, format and a number of libraries in different languages to access that memory. Um, as we had anticipated, there was a, a significant need in the market uh, for many different organizations for something like this. And as a result of that, um, you know, fast forward to today, there have been over three hundred developers that have contributed to the project. Um, many engineers at companies like NVIDIA and Intel and uh, and others working on 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 this and making it really fast with, with various uh, CPU and GPU architectures. Um, so it's really taken off from a community standpoint um, and okay. become that industry standard that we had hoped for.
0: Right, and so what that does in terms of the Dremio architecture is deliver that fast query so that you can have huge amounts of queries. Now, the second thing is if you had in these virtual views, if you had to have a lot of duplication, you'd be sunk as well. And so... The next dogma is about that you believe that you have to have a zero copy, zero zero serialization and deserialization structure that allows the same data to be used by multiple consumers so you can achieve efficient use of memory and compute. And so the idea is that you can load in uh, 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 data, you can have it in that internal structure, and then you can then allow queries to be developed from it. And now this is where you get to some of the interesting optimizations that you have where you 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 have to have the system decide which you know are you going to which of these tables are you going to actually you know preserve in memory uh in order in order to make the whole system work more optimally because the the, the answer of having all virtual tables always materialized that's that's not a winning strategy but but you have to have you have to figure out in some optimization way which one of these are going and this is where this, this dogma is, is essentially most like the, the pandas, uh, uh, infrastructure.
1: Yeah. And we, um, and, and we've uh, really enhanced how the system works so that now, um, you don't even have to think about that. The system automatically brings things in and out of memory as they're being accessed. So, um, there's really no decision for the, uh, uh, you know, for IT or for the users as to what is being cached, what's not being cached, that's entirely transparent to the user. Um, from their standpoint, they're just getting um, really high performance by, by querying the data and by our ability to uh, leverage the latest, you know, Intel SIMD instructions um, and, and kind of GPU technology. Uh, and on top of that, uh, one of the new initiatives we're doing with, with Apache Arrow is something called Arrow Flight, which is a parallel RPC layer. It's actually something that we've partnered with the Pandas community and with uh, two Sigma uh, to create an alternative uh, or a more modern approach uh, instead of ODBC and JDBC. So really designed for the data scientist, and we're seeing about 50 X performance improvement over ODBC and that makes sense. ODBC was created, you know, 25 years ago, something like that, 1993, I think, um, that was a different time. We didn't have millions of records being transferred and, and we didn't have uh, uh, distributed systems, uh, but now we do. And so that data scientist that maybe wants to pull in data from the data lake into, let's say a data frame in Python, they need to be able to do it fast. They can't wait two hours to, to do that. Uh, and so that's where Arrow flight now becomes that glue between multiple aero enabled systems um, and can do, it you know, orders of magnitude faster than, than anything that's been possible before.
0: Now, getting back into the the realm of the users, um, you also believe in the next dogma is that using SQL to define the queries uh, is really important way to make sure that you can build on the knowledge that a lot of people already have, and that any trickiness about handling JSON or stuff should be underneath the hood. It shouldn't. You shouldn't ask somebody to learn a new SQL to 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 deal with Dremio.
1: Yeah, a new SQL or a new uh, or a new DSL, a new domain specific language. I think the, the world has kind of settled on a standard way of asking questions on structured data and that's SQL and it's settled on that in the same way that, uh, you know, English has maybe become a kind of a, a common language, right? It's, is it, is it structurally the ideal language? Maybe not. I don't know, but, um, but everybody already knows it and you're not going to change that. And there are hundreds of tools that use it and millions of people that have learned it. Um, you know, and, and, and universities that teach it and you know, high schools that teach it. So it's, you know, we're well past that point of being able to have an alternative language for interacting with data, analyzing data, preparing data. Um, there will be other front ends, right? You know, there will be NLP front ends that translate natural language questions to SQL, and there will be all sorts of interfaces. But fundamentally, the, the kind of the core uh, language to ask a question on structured data—that's um, SQL. So, so that has to be the language.
0: And then the other thing you've you've, you've asserted as a dogma is that you want to separate the definition of the virtual data sets that represent the data and all the the special purpose data sets from the optimization of the query. So that the idea is that you can use anything under the hood you want to optimize that query, you know, based on the usage data and, and the resource constraints. Now, you when we when I talked last uh, to you guys, you would, there was some automatic optimization uh, systems that were under development where it would look at the query patterns that you had in a Dremio instance, and then it would start you know uh, uh, creating the in-memory structures to optimize the performance automatically. Is that the that's essentially a property that 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 is supported by this dogma?
1: A hundred percent. You know, I think uh, th- the core to making you know the data lake appealing to an end user and, and to, to Dremio working is this notion of separating the logical layer from the physical layer. And, and our belief is that users will only be able to interact in a logical layer. You can't expect uh, and an, a consumer of data to you know go start creating new data assets and optimizing data structures on disk and and things like that. Um, But a system is well equipped to do that. And so we, you know, our our approach is let the users interact in the logical layer and let Dremio and its optimizer technologies figure out, you know, let's maintain various aggregations of this data. Let's maintain various uh, sort orders or partitioning schemes uh, for this data and then have an optimizer that can automatically leverage those things when users are interacting with the logical layer. Um, And that's a very different approach from, um, kind of the traditional way in which data infrastructure was built, where there was that tight coupling between how data is physically represented and what users need to access. And the simplest example of that is is the cube, right? The cube was something that was invented many years ago. Um, it was something that IT would go and kind of create this data structure that's pre-aggregated, and then tell users, "Hey, you need to connect to this cube, and then your analysis will be fast." Um, but the problem is that for most companies, then there were hundreds or thousands of these cubes and the user never knew which one to access. And those things could only be built by IT. So for the first time we're creating that separation between kind of the physical layer and how data is exactly optimized on disk and and in memory and, you know, what users are aware of, which is a more logical layer.
0: That's great. The next one is really interesting because there's been a lot of difficulties that have happened with companies that have based their, their uh, offerings on open source, and we 've seen a lot of you know conflict between Amazon and some of these companies and um, and a lot of uh, uh, of changes that have happened to take place in business models and you guys have always both believed that your data platform should be based on open source, but you 've also constructed it in a way where you have separated the open source innovation from the productization that you're offering you know why do you think that you're going to avoid the same problems that we were seeing you know with the other uh, companies like you know uh, mongodb or or redis that have had to make some significant changes in 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 the definition of themselves as open source companies in order to preserve their commercial uh, interests
1: yeah you know, I, I, I really believe that uh, companies want to adopt open technologies. And open is, is open source. It's more than that, though. It's the uh, how is data stored, for example. Is it stored in open formats like uh, you know Parquet and, and text and uh, ORC and JSON? Um, can the technology be used in different clouds, in both cloud and on-premise? Um, and, you know, is the source code accessible? Can, can people extend it? So all these different characteristics, I think, are really important because companies, uh, yes, there's a lot of there are a lot of new technologies. But, you know, in the same way that, you know, people were really frustrated after they had gotten locked into some, some of these on-premise technologies, uh, they don't want to make that same mistake again. And so I think the future is, is going to very much be a future where companies embrace uh, kind of open source and, and open standards and then in terms of uh, how we do it specifically, I, I do think it's important for any uh, startup or any company to to think about, um, kind of the, the overall climate and what are the, the risks to their business in, in, in our world. Um, you know, we want to be able to provide a, a cloud service and we want to be able to monetize that. Um, and we don't want other companies to kind of, Ride on on our innovation in terms of offering Dremio for uh, Dremio as a service, for example, and, and so we've structured the uh, our community edition and our open source in a way that makes it very difficult uh, for that to happen, while at the same time enabling our customers to enjoy all the benefits of open source. and, and We have many uh, thousands that adopt it every month and, and use our community edition, um, and, and it's all about you know what is and what is an open source, and uh, having a few. Uh, pieces that are, are, you know, free for use, but, you know, can't be used in a, by by a cloud provider who's, who's offering any other service. Got it. So what it sounds like what you've
0: done is, um, is you've thought through and realized that you would like to participate in an open innovation process. And that's why Apache Arrow is a, is a, a, uh, a open source project, but you also, and you also want to give people the, 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 the access to that, you know, open innovation process and, but you also realize that you know it's different. An open source project is not a product, and you know your product is is going to be something that is carefully designed so that you can both allow it to be used on a freemium way, but also capture value uh, uh, as people use it more and more intensely.
1: Yeah, that's correct, and I and I think anybody who's using Dremio and and getting value out of out of it, uh, I think it's in their they, they realize that you know they they want the company to be. Successful because the the more you know, the more revenue Dremio has as a company, the more we we invest back into engineering and, and developing new capabilities and new features. So it's it's really a win win when you think about it. Um, it but it, it you know it does require thinking about these things from the beginning. And I don't think we're smarter than anybody else, but I do think we've had the uh, you know the because of when we started, we had that luxury of being able to you know have kind of the 2020 hindsight, right? Being able to see what what's happening in the industry and and what are the the uh, the things to 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 watch out for and uh, now the next uh, uh one is one of the most
0: interesting dogmas that you have and that is the idea of the performance of the source repository needs to be overcome by your query mechanism now this is really interesting because you offer an ability to do optimized queries over lots and lots of different source data sets you actually make data that is not, would not be joinable uh, in any easy way to be joinable inside of Dremio. In addition, you make data that would necessarily not be able to be accessed quickly or accessed in a, a random manner or you know, with a query to be accessible by that. And, and that uh, uh, really changes the game in terms of being able to not just bring a, a bunch of data together in a data lake, but to do the work of combining it and accessing it in a way that is actually productive. Um, Have you found that your customers have have been able to break new ground because they've all of a sudden now been able to combine data sets they would never been able to combine before?
1: Absolutely, and and, uh, let me give you two examples of that. Um, One of them is uh, UBS, a large, uh, obviously, multinational bank. And UBS has been able to, for the first time, combine trade and customer data. Um, and that's something that they uh, they were able to do uh, because of Dremio um, for the first time. And, and that's just been something that was traditionally really challenging because the trade data uh, is stored in one set of systems, you know, time series databases, et cetera, and the customer data is stored in a different set of systems and, and in the data lake. Um, and so that ability to combine multiple sources enabled them to look at things in a very different way from uh, anything they've been able to do in the past. And then another example is uh, Royal Caribbean uh, Cruise Lines. And they uh, have created a very modern uh, data architecture on uh, in the cloud on, on Azure. Um, and they have data in 26 different systems. So that, those systems range from property management um, to the casino to the reservation systems. And so these 26, uh, I believe it's 26 different systems, um, have really important information about the customer, that person or family that's that's taking the cruise, um, what they did before they booked the cruise, and what they did on the cruise, and the feedback they provided afterwards. And so, being able to combine this data and provide this uh, single view of the customer um, uh, is a, uh, a game-changing capability for the company.
0: And it doesn't require any changes to the source systems either. That's correct. Now, the the Last two ones are that the, the the next last one is that you you believe that the self de- service data platform must integrate many distinction functional capabilities. So the idea is that you have a stack both of data acceleration, of data curation, of data lineage, of a data catalog that really define your product. And and your your view is that if IT has to assemble multiple technologies, you know it's not really a product, and it's never really going to be self service. Have you found that your customers have uh, you know migrated away from these systems where you had multiple solutions to deliver the stuff into Dremio,
1: providing it all as a unified uh, system? Yeah, I think it's not so much that we're advocating. Oh, you should uh, uh, you should not have an enterprise data catalog, right? Because you know companies have a lot of reasons for having uh, these these types of technologies. But um, our ability to combine um, a number of different things into kind of a unified platform. Um, makes it possible to do things that otherwise wouldn't be possible, right? So that example I was talking about earlier where, you know, traditionally, sure, you could get a data virtualization product and a kind of a a query engine for your data lake and then a separate uh, kind of uh, OLAP cube type product. Uh, But if you're going to do something like that, then there is no self-service, right? The uh, The only people that can actually kind of get data data ready for analysis are engineers because they have to be able to kind of glue all those pieces together and do that for every they have to wire up that ETL for every single data set uh, which makes self-service obviously impossible. And so by having a single platform um, that understands the relationship between all the data sets, um, literally in relational algebra, we understand that this data set is derived from this other data set um, by doing a project and then a filter and then you know a join. Um, we can then start to optimize the way that we can accelerate queries. So rather than, you know, having a separate cube on each data set, um, you can have one representation, one aggregation of data or one sort of data, and that's leveraged by the system uh, to accelerate queries on a thousand different data sets in the system. And that's because we have that understanding in a single environment as opposed to, you know, two different systems that really can't understand each other. And, And the only integration between them is like physical copies of data.
0: Now, the last uh, dogma was that, you know, you're not really trying to be a visualization and, and data science and data discovery tool like R or Python or Tableau or Click or, or any of those. You, what you're trying to do is deliver data to those and create data sets that can be used by those in an optimal manner.
1: That's correct uh, for two reasons. One is that uh, many of these tools are, are actually tools that the users love. So we, uh, you know, uh, when you talk to business analysts, they they enjoy using tools like you know Tableau and, and Power BI. and The data scientists enjoy using things like Python and R. Um, and then the second reason is that in many companies, there are uh, a variety of different tools that people want to use. So one person is an Excel user, the other one is a Tableau user, and the third one is a, a data scientist that's building uh, models in TensorFlow. Uh, and so if you want to build this data abstraction layer um, and kind of the, the data lake, uh, a data lake engine uh, like we've built um, you have to be able to serve all these different classes of users and they each have their own preferences and so for us it didn't make sense and doesn't make sense and to be that end tool Um, it's it's much better both for the experience of the users and for us as a business to partner with uh, the various uh, bi vendors and data science applications and then
0: So I think now we have an understanding of how, you know, Dremio works and how it supports that vision of a data lake that has actually delivered. I'd like to talk about a couple of practical realities now uh, about how do you actually make this work in practice. And so one of the things is that, you know, there's a certain type of transformation you want the uh, user to be doing once the data has landed in Dremio. And there's another type of it you probably don't want to be doing in Dremio. And so uh, the the way that I've always imagined this would work optimally is that if you had heavy lifting to do on the data, or really complicated ETL to do on the data, you would use something like Spark or one of the ETL platforms like Tableau, or if you needed to, one of the data prep platforms or the data quality platforms, depending upon the problems that you have in your data, to then create data sets that are then well-behaved and in high quality. And then you would put them inside the Dremio repository because you don't want to actually be doing data cleanup, heavy-duty data cleanup inside Dremio. Um, You told me last time we talked that actually there actually is some Uh, a pattern emerging in your clients where people are using, uh, you know, Spark, you know, perhaps from Databricks or or to do this sort of heavy ETL and then delivering that into Dremio. Is that pattern, is that pattern gaining momentum?
1: I I think we're seeing that across uh, the majority of our customers, actually. Uh, This is no different from, other industries even right where you have uh, in the telecommunications industry or logistics and kind of supply chains where you have the the long haul and then you have kind of the last mile problem um, and solving those two things are, are always very very different in approach right so if it's transportation it's how do you what is the long haul how do I get it from you know one side of the country to the other side but then the, the last mile is how do I deliver it to the houses right and um, And it's the same thing with data. So you have have a need to do this heavy duty, maybe uh, run these jobs every night to do some pre-processing of the data. Um, And that's really done by data engineers and by IT, often using technologies like Spark and and various ETL products. Uh, But then you have the last mile, which is no matter how organized you've made and and clean you've made the data, the various users in the company um, that are consuming the data, they have different needs. for, for business reasons. Um, they each need different perspectives of that data. And there is, there's really no such thing as the gold copy, right? Because you know, the gold copy, then everybody goes and creates spreadsheets and data marts off of the gold copy. And so Dremio makes it so that that last mile problem, uh, can be solved in a self-service way and under IT supervision. And, and I, with, with IT governance, and that's a big deal because traditionally um, the last mile problem, um, uh, the, the way it kind of happened is that either the users were not able to get what they wanted, they, they were blocked, um, or they were working around IT and downloading data into spreadsheets or into their own kind of databases or BI tools and IT was losing control. And so you're kind of having this data governance uh, and security issue. And so by having something like Dremio serve as that serving layer and query layer, um, you get kind of the best of both, uh, both worlds. Now, the second
0: thing that I've noticed that that's that's happening in lots and lots of implementations I've seen is that the role of object storage, you know, S3 or, or the, the Azure or Google version is really increasing in terms of its importance. And a lot of people are, you know, moving uh, data, you know, from source systems into object storage as, as sort of the, the canonical format. And then, you know, doing transformations to create multiple versions of that. Uh, and, and and object storage, I believe the the rise in object storage is one of the reasons that the Hadoop uh, ecosystem is having such trouble. Because the best thing about Hadoop was the you know the scalable, low cost HDFS file system, and now that you've got that in object storage, uh, you've you've really uh, made that a lot less unique, a lot less differentiating. Um, do you find that your clients are increasingly using object storage as a, as the, the repository that they use to load up Dremio?
1: And that's the majority of the opportunities where we're, uh, we're engaged are opportunities where the data is sitting in an object store, or at least some of the data sitting in an object storage. Uh, obviously Dremio connects to many other sources as well and allows you to combine them, but kind of the, the data gravity is in something like S3 or, or ADLS. It could even be in an on-premise uh, object store in some cases. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's a big, uh, a big shift in the industry. It's impacted the Hadoop uh, vendors, of course, as well. Um, especially in the cloud, it's, uh, you know, $20 per terabyte per month. And you don't have to manage it. It's always there. Um, and really interestingly, there's, uh, we've gone from a mode where some companies had more than a hundred Hadoop clusters. And so it's kind of data marts all over again to a world where, Hey, really there's just one S3 out there. So when you're in, when you're in Amazon, there's one S3 when you're in, Azure, there's one ADLS. Um, And that creates this new environment where um, services and and products like Dremio um, uh, can thrive because you have this decoupling between the storage and the compute, which is a very different uh, paradigm from what we were kind of preaching 10 years ago where we were saying, you know, create these clusters and, you know, you had a 10-node cluster that was 10 nodes of storage, 10 nodes of compute running on the same set of servers. Um, Now the storage is a service, it's kind of on the side Somebody else is taking care of it for us and it's really cheap and scalable. And then you can have these compute engines like Dremio that enable you to actually have a functioning data lake um, with that underlying object storage.
0: Right, and that's one of the real advantages of the object storage is that you can have the data in the object storage, but then you can have any number of compute engines or data discovery engines or what other engines you want accessing them at the same time. It's, and and it's, it's no problem. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I have is is a challenge to you. And that is... Um, if you imagine how Dramio works, you, you can, you know, land data in it and then you can then create views that maybe organize that landed data into model data that, you know, for a particular purpose that might be reusable model data, like your customer 360 model or whatever. And then you can have on top of that, you know, using that data combined with whatever else you want to have, you know, purpose-built data. Now, in most data warehouse implementations, they've succeeded because people got to know that data model and understand it, and really it became part of the way, as I said earlier, of understanding the business. You know, and, and it became canonical. It became the way that we think about the business using this certain data model. Now, in Dremio, you can capture this data, you can create these layers, but these layers aren't really supported explicitly. You have, obviously ability to segment the access to, to, uh, you know, views and things. And you obviously have the ability to add notes and things like that, but the semantics of the data are separated and they only exist in the minds of the, of the, the people using the data. They exist in maybe some notes and metadata about the data. Have you thought about how you can go one step further and support the, definition of that data product and also some explicit semantics on that. So you can start doing a little bit more advanced reasoning on top of some of this, the data in the catalog uh, uh, rather than just have the semantics come be completely divorced from it.
1: You know, we, we see our customers and, and the users of Dremio um, creating these semantic zones in the data lake using Dremio. So um, you're right that they're, uh, typically kind of into the object storage or into HDFS companies will, will kind of load data from various places and, and have that data there. And then they use Dramio to expose that data for ad hoc analysis. Um, but in order to have kind of a, to make the data lake consumable or consumer friendly uh, and to make it intuitive, um, you have to have that semantic layer where you can have you know, things that are structured in a more business friendly way that's been validated by IT. And so what we see people doing um, is they use Dremio to create, like the IT team or the the data team um, will use Dremio to create this semantic uh, uh, zone where they provide kind of a set of the official uh, kind of governed and defined IT-approved data sets in in the form of virtual data sets. And then they only expose those data sets in some cases, or at least to some of the users, they only expose those um, kind of approved data sets. The, the, the modeled ones, um, to the rest of the users. Now, those users can then go and build additional virtual data sets and kind of an additional layer on top, which is their self-service uh, kind of collaborative layer, kind of like the, the Google Docs or, or Office 365 for your data type of an experience. Um, but IT's ability to use this technology to create the semantic zone, um, you know, where they can filter things, they can mask PII, uh, and they can create these uh, very clean and elegant structures um, I think that's that's those two things kind of coming together in the semantic zone of these data lakes um is really a killer kind of capability for for many of these enterprises that we're working with.
0: Yeah, and and what I'm talking about is like that that's what I call the data product, you know, what you're calling the semantic zone. It's the approved, you know, way we think about the business using a certain set of standardized data. And then what I, what what I, what I'm interested in now is how certain companies like Cambridge Semantics for example, are able to put a semantic overlay on that standardized data that now allows it to be, you know, accessed through, you know, uh, various, you know, graph technologies or semantic uh, standards uh, based technologies. And then Mm -hmm. to be, you know, so you can ask a question and and, and then the data can kind of come to you a little bit more uh, because the semantics is is embedded in, in some model. But you know what? I'm sure Dremio is going to, to move forward and support this stuff as it's needed. This has been a really good call. I think we've gone over and really explained what Dremio is up to and, uh, and covered a lot of interesting issues. Thank you so much,
1: Tomer. Yeah, thank you. That was a great discussion. Thanks for having me.